0: Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kazesnov. I am so happy and so delighted to welcome as my guest today, Charlie Morley. Charlie is a best-selling Hay House author and teacher of both lucid dreaming and shadow work. He received authorization to teach with the Karma Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism in 2008 and has since then run workshops and retreats in over 20 countries. His books, Dreams of Awakening, Lucid Dreaming, A Beginner's Guide and Dreaming Through Darkness are available in over 11 languages. Charlie, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know how very busy you are.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: It's wonderful. So I always like to start these things off by defining terms. Um, so we all dream, we all fall asleep every night. Um, some of us remember our dreams, some of us don't. Sometimes we have these dreams which are really profound and remember them for years and years afterwards. And then the last sort of hype of that is, is lucid dreaming. So maybe you can talk a little bit about those three sort of ideas and, and what the differences are and what makes lucid dreaming so special
1: hmm So we all dream every night. Um, there's no way to stop the human brain from dreaming, actually, apart from a stroke or a serious head injury. But even after a stroke or a serious head injury, within a few months, the brain will rewire itself to keep dreaming. So we know from this that dreaming is integral to our evolutionary growth. Uh, dreaming means something important to the human organism. And they believe the reason we dream, these same evolutionary biologists Um, is for memory reconsolidation, so we can remember to do stuff and and program our memory, and for survival. Uh, And there's actually a theory that our ability to have not only dreams, but nightmares in specifically, to dream about lions, tigers, and bears, was what gave us this evolutionary uh, advantage over other mammals. Because if we'd spent the night dreaming of lions, tigers, and bears, the next day we were less likely to be eaten by them. Because we had rehearsed running away, or climbing a tree, or throwing a rock at it, or whatever we might have done in the in the nightmare or the dream. So um, dreams are integral to the uh, human experience, but we don't all remember them. Why? Sometimes it's as simple as we don't try. You know, people say I haven't remembered a dream for ten years. I say, when did you last try? When did you last go to sleep with that really strong intention that you know what I'm going to remember my dreams tonight? And often people can't remember. Um, I've just done a weekend workshop. Um, just yesterday and the day before. And there were a few people there with full dream blackout, you know, literally couldn't remember the last time they remembered a dream. The first night I gave them the instruction to enter into the hypnagogic state, which is this hypnotic trance state that we pass through as we fall asleep, and to affirm over and over again 21 affirmations to to remember their dreams. And uh, almost all of them came back the next day after the first night of practice and remembered their dreams. So the dreams are there. We just need to set the intention to remember them. So the reason for dreaming how to remember our dreams, but lucid dreams. A lucid dream is a dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. So for most people, this is quite rare. Most of the time, we don't know we're dreaming as we're dreaming. In fact, we think we're awake, which is weird. Think about it. When you have your dream, you think you're awake and then you wake up in the morning and go, oh, wow, that was all a dream. But sometimes either spontaneously or by learning the practices or some people are just naturally gifted at it. We can have the the of sleep, totally out for the count. But in our mind, we have the experience of the reawakening of subjective consciousness. So we go, ah, this is all a dream. So basically that aha moment of going, wow, this is all a dream. That's what makes it lucid. Whether it's a scary dream, a sexy dream, a spiritual dream, doesn't matter. It's the, de- the definition of the term is that aha, I'm dreaming. And we have neural correlates for that too. That aha moment uh, seems to coincide with the activation of the Uh, right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, a very specific brain network that seems to be associated with our sense of self. And that makes complete sense, right? Because that's what comes online when you get lucid, your sense of self.
0: That's right. Yeah. Because I mean, otherwise you just believe everything in your dreams ordinarily and you don't question it simply because your thinking mind isn't engaged, right? Exactly. I dreamt earlier this year that
1: I was the queen of England (laughs) Um, and I was totally hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, I remember being, I was, you know, I was a bit shorter than me, a little bit wider than me in this kind of pastel pink dress. And I was the queen. I'd always been the queen. Charlie didn't exist. And then I woke up in the morning, prefrontal cortex switched back on. I went, oh my God, what a funny dream. And I reached over and wrote it down. If I had become lucid, I would have had that reawakening of awareness while I was still asleep. But most of the time we don't, we think our dreams are real. I mean, the, you know, the, uh, William Dement, one of the real pioneers of, um, of even the term REM dreaming actually back in the, in the fifties and sixties, he said, show me dreaming and I'll show you psychosis because what do we define psychosis as internally generated hallucinations that the subject believes to be real or one, one of the definitions, one of the, definitions, and that's what happens when we dream, right? We, internally hallucinate, and we think that we're awake. We think we're real. So it's kind of madness. So in that case, it's a beautiful madness. I love the madness. <laughs> but, but in that case, um, lucid dreaming is like uh, kind of an antipsychotic. It allows us to recognize the illusion. And that's why it's used, What's one of the main reasons it's used in Buddhism, because it said, if you can have enough of these experiences of recognizing illusion, of going, what I thought to be real is, in fact, illusion, you'll start to have those experiences in the waking state and start to quite literally wake up to the projected bullshit that our mind feeds us, that we are limited, that we are separate, that we are not in a state of constant oneness, that we are not fully enlightened Buddhas. Um, if we can wake up to that, that's the, that's the aim apparently.
0: Right. right. <laughs> Definitely
1: not there myself. But
0: that's the aim. <laughs> hey, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I, I know that. So, one thing that's always fascinated me i mean it's a little bit sometimes i think like the kundalini experience that that there are certain abilities that we as human beings possess lucid dreaming kundalini so on and so forth but not all of us in fact very few of us get there automatically mm-hmm. and it's a hard and it's hard work so that of course ends up begging the question what's it for what why yeah. is it there why can we do these things and yet they are occult in the in the real sense of the word of being occluded or hidden and you have to Mm. kind of go after them what what are your thoughts on that
1: i i think because we're asleep most of us and we hate hearing that triggers us people will be annoyed already they'll be going i'm awake i've just done my angel card reading i'm awake it's like (laughs) i'm sorry but you need more than angel card reading i need more than a bit of tibetan buddhism we are asleep the vast, vast majority of us. We are asleep to the fact that we are operating, I I don't drive, but I think this metaphor is going to work, that we are operating in a bloody Ferrari. We've got this amazing Ferrari that goes up to six gears and we go through our life operating in the first gear. And maybe on our deathbed, we get a flash of awareness that, oh, I was driving a Ferrari the whole time. I had no, you know, we have no idea of the potential of of our human experience. Think of the four minute mile. We thought that was impossible. People thought that if you were to run a mile under four minutes, your heart might explode. And we had all these mm-hmm. theories, limiting theories. Some mm-hmm. people didn't even try or they thought it was impossible. Within 46 days of uh, Roger Bannister, right, uh, doing mm-hmm. the four minute mile, three other people did the four minute mile because they knew it was possible. I think it's just we're asleep to the possibility. And when we see that other people can do it, we start to wake up to this possibility, which is perhaps why now we're having a revolution around gender, around sexuality, around uh, the Me Too movement, because other people's waking up to possibility is waking other people up and going, wow, I, I didn't know it was possible. So I, think it, I don't think it's some huge global conspiracy. I don't think it's, it's a lack of human potential. I think it's just we're sleepy we're sleepy, we're not awake to our full potential. And the joy of the spiritual path is is awakening to that. And if we were awake, we'd see that we are unlimited and we are hugely powerful beings. But most of us go to our graves not knowing that.
0: I love that, I love that definition. I think it just makes so much sense, it's gorgeous. It's interesting that you, that you talk about people waking up in general at the moment, because I think that's definitely a feeling that every one of us who are involved in any kind of spiritual work, um, are really aware of that there is, I mean, I remember 10 years ago, you, you couldn't kind of openly admit you were meditating because people would look at you like we're a bit odd. And now everyone's got a Headspace app on their phone meditating on the train, right? So why why do you think that is 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 there something going on at the moment a general waking up is it exactly what you were talking about the fact that so many people now can do it so it's out there and it's more available in the in the cosmic space I don't know I'm actually going to have to counter that
1: I, I would love to just fully agree with that but I'm going to have to not agree with that I think really? we're in a place of of extremes yeah. I think that, yes there are more people aware of the possibility of awakening. There are more people going, wow, I think, I think there might be a Ferrari under the bonnet. You know, I think, I think it's there, but I think there's also more people going, I'm not driving who, who aren't even starting the ignition. Right. There's, I think we're in a state of, of extremes that yes, there are more people who interest in awakening and going for it. But I think there's also a, a huge, Aspect of humanity that is that is not that is actually taking sleeping pills and wants (laughs) to go deeper and deeper and deeper into ignorance Um, but I think that will happen, you know the brighter the light the darker the shadow I think that's I don't think that should dismiss the possibility that there are more people waking up than there were before I think we just to acknowledge that just because there are more people waking up than there were before Doesn't mean there aren't still billions of us who are still asleep myself included you know, I mean, how much spiritual practice do I really do? If I manage to do a one-year retreat in my life, right, a one-year solo retreat, which most people would see an extreme amount of spiritual practice, to do one year, 12 hours a day spiritual practice, and I live to 100, that means I have done 1%. I spent 1% of my life on spiritual practice. Now let's do the percentage on that. Let's say I managed to meditate for an hour a day, which sometimes I don't if I'm traveling. You know, I, I, I won't hit that. That is a tiny, tiny percentage of my life. I'm spending on, on the path of wakefulness. And yet I have the, the audacity to sit here even talking to you about wakefulness. So yes, I want to say yes. And I also want to counter my arrogance at even talking about this and acknowledging how asleep I am and how unaware of my own Ferrari I am. Um, I so I think it's both.
0: I think it's a wonderfully astute observation actually. And I, in, in actual fact, I, I think you're probably exactly right. It is very, very polarized. And, uh, And it's, it's, um, it's interesting. We'll see where it's all going to go. Let's go.
1: Fascinating and frightening time to be alive, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely a tipping point. I think everybody feels that in some way or another, you know, you
1: know, when you've got a lot of people believing in simulation theory that you're in a weird time (laughs) when (laughs) when, like when people are going, but that could be the only explanation for Trump is that a teenager is playing us on a video game and sort (laughs) of, I mean, the, 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 growing kind of interest in flat earth theory simulation theory is i think something we need to have compassion about people just going but fuck you know there must be some explanation you know there must you know it's it's just so mind-boggling the polarity we're in and it can be so confusing when you're like wait are we all waking up or are we all just totally asleep that you know theories like that are going to seem overly attractive because at least they explain away the 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 polarity of it
0: yeah Absolutely.
1: Anyway, don't get me started on flowers.
0: Yeah, You'll yeah, me- I it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> actually, does segue very nicely back into the conversation of lucid dreaming. Though, oh yeah, sorry, we're I mean, supposed to be talking about you- that. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> because um, you know that that's actually one of the special aspects of it that I love about your work is that that you like to use lucid dreaming as a as a as a process in itself that you know I mean on the one hand of course you know anybody who's experienced lucid dreaming knows it is the biggest funnest playground and you run around going this is so cool exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean it's more than that and you can do a lot more with that um, so can you tell us a little bit about your ideas and your practices for for actually using the lucid dreaming state for something constructive
1: Yeah. So let's look at kind of three perspectives on this and then listeners will can decide which one they they vibe with. So from a neuroscientific perspective, um, once you become lucid and that prefrontal cortex becomes activated, uh, neuroplasticity becomes engaged. So which isn't engaged in the non lucid dream state. So what does this mean? It means you can learn in your lucid dreams. You can actually train. So they've done studies at Heidelberg University, one of which I was part of, where they got martial artists who could lucid dream, go into the lucid dream state, practice martial arts, and then wake up and do all these tests and see if they got better. 80.3% of the martial artists involved, over 30 martial artists, um, got better in the waking state. I actually didn't. I was one of the the 20% who didn't embarrassingly. But uh, a lot of martial artists did. Uh, And they did something on squats. They found people could do more, like, you know, squat, squatting down in the dream, and then they tested them in the waking state, they could do more. Um, you then apply that to other things, and you realize okay, so we can actually get better in the lucid dream. You can learn, you can train for public speaking, you can uh, train your body and affect your muscle mass in the waking state. Um, you could practice your meditation, your yoga. Then that segues into the more psychological aspects here. Well, what else can we practice? We can practice kindness, we can practice moving beyond fear, we can practice integrating phobias. We can um, work with childhood trauma knowing that we're not just integrating at a psychological level, but we're actually retraining the brain networks that were affected by that trauma while we sleep. So we realize the neuroscience gives us a great basis of kind of confidence. You know, it's not that we're only going to do lucid dreaming because now we've got the neuroscientific proof. But because we have the neuroscientific proof, let's rejoice and go, so that's why it's so powerful when I integrate a trauma in a lucid dream or I work with fear, because it's working neurologically, not just psychologically. So then we move into the psychological benefits of lucid dreaming. Um, You know, PTSD is uh, working with veterans, something I've been doing for the last couple of years, and just did a big project on this year, um, because we found that lucid dreaming practices can be very effective for post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, very effective for all types of traumatic nightmare. Um, so people have recurrent traumatic nightmares. Lucid dreaming is one of the most effective treatments for that. We know that now um, we've got the science on it, although it's not yet mainstream because it's difficult to learn. Um, well, they say it's difficult to learn. I think there, are, we just don't have enough people who find it easy to teach, um, which is why I'm now offering what I can to as many veterans as I can, because although I'm not the best lucid dreamer in the world, I'm, I'm good at teaching it that I know. That I know, Um, so I I can can help people to to (laughs) lucid dream. So I want to be able to offer that to help people with PTSD and nightmares. So we move from the neurology into the psychological aspects, uh, things like inner child work, the ability to interact with archetypes in the lucid dream, call forth your inner child, whether you got childhood trauma or not. You know that little boy or little girl in us could do with a hug, and life will be happier if we can give it a hug. And the cool thing about the lucid dream is when I talk about hugging, literally. Become lucid. Oh, right. I'm dreaming. So my body is asleep in bed. I'm in a three-dimensional projection of my mind. I have full access to waking memory. And I'm choosing now to integrate my child to trauma. Inner child, come to me. And then often a three-dimensional projection, I mean, looking as real as real life, of your inner child will appear. And you can dialogue with them. You know, a therapist who was on a course earlier in the year, she was just kept on questioning this. She was going, wait, so you're telling me you can get lucid. You call out for your inner child. And a personification of the archetype of the inner child appears and I was like yes and she's like and you can touch it and it's solid I'm like yeah she goes you can talk to it and I'm like yeah and she went this could change everything yeah there. it can take me months to get my male clients to get to the stage where they admit they have an inner child you're telling me you can call it forth in the lucid dream so psychological healing aspects are intense and then The final perspective, the spiritual aspect, lucid dreaming has been part of the dream yoga practices of Tibetan Buddhism for over a thousand years. Um, It's part of the Toltec Mexica uh, shamanic practices of Mexico for, again, about a thousand years, a little bit longer. Um, You find in Sufism, mystical, uh, Islam, lucid dreaming practices. Uh, Maybe you find in early Christian Gnostic practices, although there's there's no real proof for that, but there's some good theories floating about it. So it's been used as spiritual practice for a long time, partly as I mentioned before, because it gives you an experience of uh seeing through illusion, penetrating illusion. And that leads to a deconditioning process within the waking mind that is now less likely to be duped by illusion, less mm-hmm. likely to be duped by your own bullshit, by your own limitations. Uh, In Buddhism, though, and in the Mexican tradition, it's used specifically for training for death and dying. Because it said the death and dying states mirror those of falling asleep and the dream state that follows. So if you can train yourself to fall asleep consciously and to recognize the dreamlike apparitions that follow the death and dying process um, by training in lucid dreaming while you're awake, you might be able to engage a conscious death, which is in pretty much all traditions seen as the highest achievement of the spiritual practitioner. Because with a conscious death, you can either at least kind of uh, choose your rebirth or at most reach full enlightenment at death and kind of check out. Uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, we take the bodhisattva vow though. That means you'll keep on coming back even when you're enlightened until every being is enlightened, including the ants. Um, so basically you're never going to check out to Nirvana. You're just going to keep on coming back and helping all beings and eventually seeing that Nirvana is on earth. Nirvana is the state of helping all beings waking up. It's actually not checking out.
0: Wow, I just got chills when you said that. I think that's really <laughs> profound. <laughs> that's really amazing. One of the things you talk about, I mentioned it at the beginning, um, and you, you kind of uh, addressed that a little bit, was this idea of shadow work. Now that That's presumably based on the original Jungian idea mm. of, of shadows and uh, the shadow world and the shadow self and shadow aspects. And I can see that as being really, really useful. So... The question that I would ask though is, is having worked myself as a hypnotherapist where essentially you put people in a very similar state mm-hmm. as lucid dreaming where they're very, very aware, but not conscious of a, of a body, if you like, of being in this headspace is of course actually having that guidance to actually work through these issues and you're holding somebody's hand, essentially. Now, Mm -hmm. when you're dreaming, you're doing this by yourself. So how does that, how does that work? And are there, are there potential risks involved Mm -hmm. or is it only beneficial?
1: So in the lucid dream state, it's believed in Tibetan Buddhism that you have seven times the power of consciousness. So you actually have seven times the intelligence, seven times the intuition, seven times the Buddha nature. You are, it's a higher intelligence you're operating with once you're lucid, not lower. So from that point, it would, that's their kind of response to the argument that no, actually there's more wisdom in a lucid dream than the waking state. Mm-hmm. If you look at the kind of Western view on it and fears around re-traumatization, if you look at the, r- the reason we dream is for trauma integration, it's to have these, well, it's reconsolidation memory, but also it's to have these scary dreams and to allow us to integrate the traumas of, of being a human. You know, we, we need to dream. That's why at Guantanamo Bay, the torture they used, the sleep torture, was not actually sleep torture, it was dream torture. They were allowing people to, dream, to sleep, but they put them in stress position that didn't allow them to go into REM dreaming sleep. Because if you steal someone's dreams from them, within a few days, they'll end to psychosis. Mm-hmm. So dreaming is integral to our mental health. So on that theory, it's actually more difficult to be re-traumatized in a lucid dream than it is in waking state therapy. Now, hypnotherapy... I don't think that would count. I think the hypnotherapy, again, you, you create this safe space where they're both in the safe space of the unconscious and there they've got their hand held by the hypnotist. But I think in, in normal waking state talk therapy, it's actually easier to be re-traumatized than in a lucid dream. The lucid dream will often show itself as having intelligence and actually either waking the dreamer when it's too much or blocking the dreamer. There's a lady, uh, one of the case studies in my new book, Dreaming Through Darkness, where she called out her seven-year-old self in a lucid dream. because She wanted to, uh, uh, that was the age where some abuse happened. She called it out three times and nothing happened. The dream blocked her. It was just like, nah, you are so not ready to meet your seven-year-old self. But on the third time she called it out, the dream did respond with this brilliant symbolic intelligence. Uh, suddenly a door appeared in the middle of the lucid dream and on the door was a sign and the sign said, caution. It was like the dream was going, no, you're not ready to meet your seven-year-old self. But, okay, you're calling this a third time. Okay, you really want to go there? I'll give you a door. I'll put caution on it. You choose whether you want to go through it. And she pushed the door. And she went, if it's locked, I'll take that as a symbol to wake up. If, it, if it's not locked, I'll go through. She went through. There was a symbolic representation of the abuse, not the little girl herself. She went into the symbolic representation of abuse, showed it love, showed acceptance, and woke up with a big emotional release. Um, I've had things where I've tried to... I actually tried to experience nirvana in a lucid dream. I became lucid and called out "Dewa Chen now, take me to Dewa Chen," which is kind of like this Buddhist pure land. You can kind of think of like kind of a Buddhist nirvana heaven. Um and actually mine was a third time too. Maybe it's a rule of 3. I call that once, nothing. Twice, nothing. Third time, this woman with a clipboard walked into the lucid dream from like out of nowhere, looked down at her clipboard and went, "Dewa Chen, nah, you're not ready for that," and I woke up. I was like, "This is nuts." There is literally, I mean, Jung was clear on this, although he didn't mention lucid dreaming. He talked of the conscious unconscious. Mm-hmm. There is a consciousness within the dream. I mean, even in non-lucid dreams, dreams have punchlines. They have, you know, you find out who the murderer is just before the alarm clock goes off because your circadian rhythm, is, because your dreamer knows your circadian rhythm. It knows when you're about to wake up. It's like, oh, quickly give, give, give them the conclusion before they wake up. Dreams are not random. I mean, some, sometimes they are. They're just the brain downloading sometimes in the early hours of the night. But once you get to the later stages and you've gone through the restful period of sleep, there's a brilliant intelligence to the dream. And that intelligence is said to be times by seven in the lucid dream state. So I personally find it a safer place. I mean, if I've got a big decision to make, I'll make it in the lucid dream. Or I'll ask for a, a guidance in the lucid dream at least because in the waking state, the dominant power in my mind is the ego mind which mine is a bit of an idiot most of the time. I mean, I love it. God, he's, he's, he's a lovable idiot in the lucid dream state. However, the ego mind is in the minority because it's that 10% consciousness compared to the 90%, you know, wisdom of the unconscious mind that contains the Sue's algorithms of of wisdom from every book we've ever read, every spiritual teaching we've ever heard. That's what the dreamer has access to. So, um, yeah, it actually seems to be a, a place of greater wisdom, not less. Um, but if it does get too much, you usually just wake up very hard to kind of get re-traumatized in a, in a lucid dream.
0: Excellent. So that leads me to sort of start thinking about you. You talk a lot about the fact that, that a lucid dream is a picture of your own mind. I mean, it's, it's you inside your own mind is there yeah an, 99% was, of it i was going to say is there an aspect of it where perhaps one is communing with something else you know yeah it?
1: without doubt without doubt i call this the 1% um people often call me out on this 1% thing uh, and i'm like, i don't know i'm just mean like most of it is your mind and a little bit of it is not but then this autistic guy came on a retreat um uh And he said when a part of his uh, being on the autistic autistic spectrum is a love of numbers, and he worked out based on five dream periods a night, eight hours sleep a night, seven nights a week, what 1% would mean uh, if I was saying the 1% might be transpersonal, the 1% might be enlightened beings, the 1% might be dead relatives, you know, something transpersonal outside of your own head. And he worked out if it was 1%, that meant about once every three or four weeks, you would be having a totally transpersonal experience. And I was like, well, that's incredibly high, actually. So 1% is still huge, but it could be 1%, it could be 10%. You know, if you're doing a lot of shamanic work, if you're doing a lot of energy work where you're calling things in, I'm sure that can boost to 10%. But most of it is us. It is not astral projection. People want the opposite percentages 99 percent everything else one percent you have an obe have an ast- go astral projecting but lucid dreaming the mind's flipping inwardly it is not the same as astral projection you are inside your own psychology and you can check this it is your neurosis in there If you're scared of spiders they'll be in the lucid dream if you've had childhood trauma it's your childhood trauma that will pop up in the dream it's like it's pretty easy to check okay this is me in here uh, but when you do meet the one percent you'll know about it as well they will stick out like the biggest sore thumb you've ever seen. I mean, you're like, fuck, that is not me. And you won't need to ask me about it. You won't need to ask anyone about it, you will know. You'll go, whoa, that was not part of the dream. Um, But it's rare.
0: Yeah, amazing. We've talked a lot about solving kind of trauma issues. Um, what about physical disease? I mean, you know, London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit medicine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the body is ailing as well as as well as the the mind and the and the spirit. Um, is that something that you can do in lucid dreaming to address yeah physical conditions?
1: Yeah, it is. I'm actually being a little bit more conservative nowadays when I talk about this, just because. Working with the veterans and working with members of the Ministry of Defense, I need to be more conservative, what would I say, about the possibility of physical healing than before. So I will say everything from now on is anecdotal and not right. scientifically verified, which is the truth. I, mm-hmm. I probably should have made that clear in, in earlier videos. Um, but there is so much anecdotal proof uh, or anecdotal evidence that you can affect physical healing from within the lucid dream. Definitely. Um, whether, how do you explain this? Maybe it's just the placebo effect, but as Don't David ever Hamilton. say just the placebo effect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anyone who prefixes the placebo with the term just does not understand the placebo. It should be, wow, the placebo. Oh, wow, exactly. Placebo. I mean, the placebo is like the only replicable aspect of all medical trials.
0: <laughs> you know, that's yeah. amazing
1: in itself. It's and singing, yet we're the like, oh, from the, the same
0: hinge.
1: Um, and as we both saw, I think my friend David Hamilton, another yeah. Hay House author, speaker at, uh, at I Can Do It, the, the placebo studies are insane. And if you, these are the placebo studies while you're awake, right? And so if this is the mind affecting the body. Imagine if you engage the power of the placebo from within a three-dimensional virtual reality simulation of your own mind, where your consciousness is times by seven and where you have 90% more mental capacity or, well, access to 90% more of who you are as in the unconscious mind than you do in the waking state. Yeah. It's going to be the placebo max. So if you did want to do physical healing in the lucid dream, let's say you've hurt your elbow, you've become lucid and you could combine the placebo effect with visualized healing with kind of like hypnotic suggestion. Actually, you do Mm -hmm. all three of those. You're going to have a very strong experience. So you could get lucid. Oh, what do I want to do? So first thing when you get lucid, because you don't think, what did I want to do? You'll just get lost in the beauty of it or in the, having sex with people or flying about or just the kind of the, the craziness of the dream. So it's good to go in with a plan. So you become lucid. What do I want to do? Oh, heal my elbow. Okay. So I'm going to use visualized healing, something like the Simiton method that's used by Cancer UK, uh, visualizing colored lights surrounding the point of inflammation. Um, I might combine that with hands on healing. So obviously I'm asleep in bed but in the dream, Put my dream hands on my dream elbow, imagine colored light coming out the hands In the dream, imagination forms reality because you're in the imagination, so you probably will see colored light coming out. Then I might call out an affirmation. My immune system is boosted. My elbow is healed of all non-beneficial disease. I think that's a pretty good affirmation. The reason I put on all non-beneficial disease is because maybe there's something about the dis-ease of my Uh, elbow injury that is helping me that is that there's a learning it's slowing me down it's making me use my left arm rather than my right i don't know so if there is i don't want to mess with that so i'll say may i be free of not get rid of not destroy but may i be free of all non-beneficial disease pertaining to whatever kind of part is is hurting or something like that Um, you do that most people have a very powerful experience Uh, in the second book this guy bruno he had kidney disease um he got lucid he did the same thing hands on healing colored light zapping his kidneys in the dream wakes up so short lucid dream maybe 30 seconds and his creatine levels stabilized for like 30 uh, uh for 6 months
0: wow um
1: which apparently creatinine levels is like the how you measure the health of the kidneys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now 6 months later his kidney disease came back uh, and he had to have a kidney removed i found out about that like a year later and i was like, oh bruno you, you you know didn't you think to do another lucid dream He said oh but i thought it didn't work Dude, it worked for six months. It, it, it you know, stabilised your kidney disease. But yeah, it's not a golden bullet. You know, lucid dreaming can't, I mean, it's a great example. Because lucid dreaming can't cure kidney disease. What it can do is have a very powerful placebo action healing response for up to six months that will affect the body. Um, but maybe it's something you've got to keep doing. You know, like my eyes, like four years ago, I did three lucid dreams on my eyesight, um, which is pretty good. It's actually started to fade now. But weirdly, the eyesight is different. So I think it might be with age, the actual, the, the kind of eyesight problem I had before is not the same eyesight problem I have now because it's it's not for far distances. I'm like, oh my God, am I getting old? And it's going to be that close up one now. So maybe I need to do, and I do, and I will do some more lucid dream healing on it for the current state of my eyes. Um, does that mean I think it didn't work? It's like, no, it worked for four years. I used to wear glasses. I mean, it's still miraculous, but yeah, fades after a while. You can't take one pill and expect it to go or have one medical treatment expect it to go. So I think it's, it's important to know. It's definitely possible, um, but it's not a silver bullet. It's, you know, in the same way, I don't think that acupuncture can cure cancer, but I do think that acupuncture combined with Western medical treatment of cancer is, can make it much more powerful. So it's the same. I think we we can use it as an alternative therapy, but a very powerful alternative therapy.
0: So essentially you're just putting, you're putting everything in the best possible place to help that innate intelligence within all of us to heal. So, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean,
1: this is the hypnotherapist. Exactly. In speaking, right. Yeah. I and mean, you right. must get in fact, you might you get this more than me. How would you explain from a hypnotherapeutic point of view um, how lucid dream healing is working using kind of hypnosis terms? Like, how is it working?
0: I actually honestly think it's probably working exactly the same way. However, I agree with you that I think that when you go lucid, um, because it is a very personal, singular experience in your body is actually physically asleep. Mm. Um, I think it's probably... Maybe even more powerful in a lucid dream than in a hypnotic mm. state, but I think it's identical. I think the process is identical. Mm. I think what you're doing is you're literally optimizing your body and your yeah. mind to to, to to just you know you're putting everything in the best possible scenario to to trigger that innate healing. You're taking all of the blocks out of the way because you're removing any limiting belief that mm. you have that it may not work. Mm. Which is in itself perhaps why it's ultimately limited because there are going to be certain conditions and things which, which are, you know, have created so much damage and Mm. destruction that perhaps, you know, more than just what the body can do is needed in those cases. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And it's interesting what you said about the hypnosis. I think, again, for someone who did some hypnotherapy training in my 20s and has had hypnotherapy, um, yes, I think lucid dream healing is more powerful possibly than hypnotherapeutic healing, Mm -hmm. but it is much less accessible. Yeah. I mean, you can work with clients on a weekly, perhaps even daily basis using hypnotherapy to help them. Can I get clients into a lucid dream uh, once a week is is a struggle, let alone what every day. So hypnotherapy is way more accessible. In fact, pretty much every other therapy is way more accessible. But it does seem that lucid dream, although it's less accessible and the rarer experience, I think possibly just because you can't get more unconscious than asleep.
0: Exactly. It's like yeah.
1: it's the deepest level of the unconscious, whereas like shamanic journeying and, and hypnotherapy and stuff is you're not totally blacked out. So maybe that depth is is slightly less. I don't know. Um, but what I do think is if we can combine hypnotherapy and lucid dreaming, which is why I'm doing the CPD training launching next year. Um, in fact, go brilliant for you as a trained hypnotherapist where I'm doing um, CPD. So continued professional development for qualified hypnotherapists, psychotherapists, mindfulness teachers. Hey, and I'm, school... in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Oh, cool to use, to learn a set of lucid dreaming tools to work alongside their clients, not to become lucid dreaming teachers, but to have a toolbox. So if a client, comes to you and they're presenting with lucid dreams you go oh this is brilliant okay great i can I'd, i'd like you to do this in your lucid dreams and try and do this within a couple of weeks and then the next time i see you we can enter back into that lucid dream through hypnosis and continue the dialogue or something you know i don't know but i i think that if we combine them it could be even stronger
0: Agreed. Absolutely. Sounds. That's really exciting. <laughs> so, how does one lucid dream? Why don't you, um, maybe you know, obviously the best way is read all of Charlie's books and go to. Yes, there's with, the plug. Uh, the uh, yeah, exactly. The online courses. Through. Come to workshop. Exactly and if nothing else because he's got the coolest selection of t-shirts you've ever seen but uh, <laughs> but um, all the YouTube comments are just about the t-shirts yeah like, well, is anyone listening to what I'm saying no, that now I'm certainly listening and I'm sure my listeners are too and they can't see the t-shirts that's the advantage of audio you see. so how do you know There's never a quick way. You said it's it's a difficult practice, and it's it's not so much difficult. It's just one that you have to be committed to. Yeah, like uh, any form of yoga, it takes a while. Exactly. So, what what are a couple? Maybe you can just share a couple of 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 processes that people could maybe start or even think about to help them. Even you know, because I think a lot of people have just never come across the phenomenon personally they've never experienced anything near a, a lucid dream and they have mm-hmm. no idea what it's all about so it's a little scary maybe well so let's at, look at that it? first actually
1: because there might be people listening going yeah I have had that experience where you're in a dream and you're oh wow this is all a dream and they might remember the experience that they woke up very quickly afterwards because that's what usually happens in a first lucid mm-hmm. oh my god I'm dreaming it's so cool I wake up people listening who think no I literally have never had that experience I'd say, have they ever had a nightmare where in the nightmare they've gone, I've got to wake up, I've got to wake up, or tried to wake themselves from a nightmare? If they have, that was a lucid dream too, because the moment they tried to wake themselves up, they had indirectly acknowledged they were asleep. Right. Um, so sometimes nightmares can be our first experience. So that can open people up a little bit more. Um, But anyway, whether you have or not, the three D's are the kind of beginner steps to lucid dreaming. So the first D is dream recall. Unless we regularly remember our dreams, very unlikely to have lucid dreams. Um, As I said right at the beginning, people who don't remember their dreams, I just say, when did you last try? So tonight, try and remember your dreams. Um, Either before bed, just informally going, I listened to this cool podcast today. I'm going to try this guy's techniques. Tonight, I'm going to remember my dreams. And then first thing in the morning or as soon as you wake up to pee in the middle of the night, you know, don't get distracted. Think, oh, where was I? Where have I been? What was I dreaming about? Ah, okay. And then write it down. Um, But a more formalized version of this, as you're falling asleep through the hypnagogic state, this kind of natural state of hypnosis that we pass through as we fall asleep, um, be reciting over and over again. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Over and over again. If you want to do it Classically, you'll do it 21 times the Tibetan way, but maybe three or four minutes as you're falling asleep and then allow yourself to black out. The second D, dream diaries. Document your dreams in some way. Um, not necessary to, interpret. in fact, not at all to interpret them. Uh, I am quite into dream interpretation myself, but just know it's not part of lucid dreaming practice. It is a separate practice. Um, for lucid dreaming, the reason we write our dreams isn't to interpret them. It's to solidify the memory of an unconscious process into conscious form. Link when we're training, when we're, you know, um, revising for an exam at university or school or something. We write things down to help us remember. So the act of writing down your dreams helps you remember them. You want to remember as many dreams as you can. Because the more dreams you remember, the more data you have to work with of what do I usually dream about? And that leads us to our third D, dream science. By regularly keeping a dream diary, let's say you keep it for a week. The end of the week, you look back over your dreams. Let's say you've got minimum of seven dreams written down, a dream a night, but hopefully even more. And you look through and you, you scan for patterns, dream signs, things that can only happen in your dreams. You think, oh, oh, look, I dreamt of my dead grandmother twice last week. Or, oh, I was naked in public three times last week. Okay, well, my dead grandma doesn't exist in real life, and I'm usually not naked in public in real life. So these are my two dream signs. And then the next time you go to sleep, you can start programming your mind, putting in triggers. Well, if between now and breakfast, I see my grandma, then I must be dreaming. That's the only explanation. Or if between now and breakfast, I'm back at school, then I must be dreaming. Or if between now and breakfast, I'm naked in public, probably you're dreaming. Who knows what you get up to at night? Um, you know. So you start to set these triggers. So recall your dreams, write them down in some way. The reason we write them down is to spot these patterns and then create triggers. And it's with those triggers of awareness using prospective memory, the next time I see this, I remember I'm dreaming um, is exactly the same process we use when we say the next time I see a bank, I've got to remember to get some money out because I, I owe my mate a tenner. I've got to get tenner out. Next time I see a bank, I, I will remember. And then you can forget about it. Next time you see a bank, boom, something lights up and you go, ah, yeah, I owe my mate a tenner. It's a well-used brain network. It, it's muscly. We use it. It hasn't atrophied like a lot of other forms of our memory. Um, so we use that to set triggers and with that we can, they're kind of your first three steps toward lucid dreaming. Of course, there's like dozens of techniques, but those will get people started.
0: Great. Yeah. And I, I, I got into lucid dreaming myself over 30 years ago, actually reading the works of Carlos Castaneda. Um, yeah. He the a lot of people, practice. that's the way in. Exactly. And uh, I remember getting madly frustrated because the only advice he ever gave in the books was look for your hands in your dreams. And I yeah. could never find my hands and it. I gave up for a long time uh, and, until I actually discovered your work and that that got me back into it and that's been successful so I think the dream diary and the recording is is as much as as important as looking for the triggers because I I feel anything else it just kind of focuses you in on actually engaging in the practice in a really intentional way
1: yeah and also just keeping a dream diary is really good for you like the yeah. amount of people who do spiritual work and aren't keeping a dream diary and I'm always like why would you not keep a dream diary like people spend a lot of money going to therapists saying what's my mind like what's my mind like what's my mind like your mind will show you what it's like every night of the week if you right. care to notice you know if you are not, who am i secretly in love with look at your dreams <laughs> what am i still traumatized about from childhood look at your dreams what what family member have i not got integrated have i not got an integrated relationship with look at your dreams it's like it's all there it's our internal therapist trying to communicate trying to integrate memory and and update survival mechanisms at the least and at most try and give us teachings, try and allow us to evolve. So really it can be our greatest teacher, the dream diary. So even before you get to lucid dreaming, just writing down your dreams can be enough to give lots of insights
0: great great advice definitely follow that listeners it's 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 it really is insightful i know when you told me to do that and i started doing it i i was i was actually shocked by how many patterns you really do see because yeah. you don't recognize that i mean like i had a period of about 3 months where every single dream was always inside it was always inside a house mm. it was a different mm. house but it was all and, you know, and I realized that actually this was something that was very relevant to my waking world. And it, yeah. you know, that I was actually not happy in the four walls I was in and I was looking oh, somewhere else. And and I actually then moved house because I thought, wow. well, you know, your mind is telling you to do this. Do it. <laughs> Perfect.
1: There you go. Following your dreams. <laughs> literally.
0: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, and then that's not even lucid dreaming. So. My, my next question actually is a lot of people I find, especially today, are looking and searching for what they call their purpose. And if I hear one more personal development <laughs> person tell you to follow your passion, I will probably strangle them because I think this is, you know, people have no idea what that is, what their passion is or what they're supposed to be doing. And, and it ties them up in knots. Now, I think something like lucid dreaming would be a brilliant way to be able to help answer those questions.
1: Yeah, you can. I mean, it's pretty simple. You get lucid and you call out a question. Like, is it just that you, simple? You, yeah. I mean, you know, this, this, uh, this friend Nina, who's Jade's, uh, my wife's, uh, one of her best friends, she's going kind to of have her bridesmaid at her wedding coming up, actually. Um, and Nina is, uh, she's open-minded, but she's logical. So when she told me this dream, I was like, this is for real. Um, she became lucid and she called out, what should I do career-wise? So Shenty asked about her career path in the lucid dream. At this time, she was a break dance teacher at the Royal Academy of Dance, um, but felt like she was stagnating a little bit. So she calls out, um, what should I do career wise? And then the dream, as soon as she calls it out to the sky in the dream, not to the people, but to the dream itself, the dream changes. She's a picture of herself, which is weird to see yourself actually in second person, um, sitting on the floor, reading books to little children, to toddlers, like surrounded by toddlers. Then she wakes up. And she was like, oh, wow, kindergarten teacher. That was obviously the message of what it said I should do with my life. But I haven't trained. I haven't got my teaching certificate. I don't want to be a kindergarten teacher, blah, blah, blah. She kind of ignored it. But if you do ignore the lucid dream, your dreamer will use this dream to bring you back to the past. So she had a series of very strange synchronicities. And the final straw was like this, um, I think it was like on a notice board uh, near where she lived, a teaching assistant job coming up um at the local primary school so not nursery but primary school and she thought well that's close enough why not i'll I'll go along and see then the night before the interview um she had another lucid dream and in this lucid dream she called out will i get the job tomorrow at the primary school Uh, no sorry didn't didn't say primary school. she said will i get the job tomorrow and in the sky the stars spelt out y-e-s yes i mean literally the dream responded said yes you will get the job Um, And then she wakes up and she goes to the primary school the next day. She walks in. She never actually had the interview because when she walked in, they told her they'd just given it to someone and the job was closed. And she's like, oh, what the dream. I had two lucid dreams. also so positive, blah, blah. Now she's leaving. They're like, uh, oh, we have actually got another slot um, at the kindergarten around the corner that we're twinned with. Do you want to apply for the kindergarten slot? And she was like, that's nuts. Yes, I'll apply for that. Just like the lucid dream showed. She applied for it and got the job. I mean, that's insane. Uh, and that brings up all sorts of things like the 1%, like psychic capacity in the dream. I mean, free will. I mean, God, that's, that's kind of scary. Did the dream know something before it was going to happen? Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as that's as specific as career path. So for kind of purpose, um, you can definitely call it out. Sometimes it's more obtruse. You know, one woman called out, how can I be of most benefit? Which is what I say when people ask about purpose. I mean, don't ask purpose. Say, how can I be of most benefit, you know, to the world? So she calls out, how can I be of most benefit in the lucid dream? And just everything turned to love. And I said, what do you mean? She went, literally the word love appeared everywhere. So these bubbles emerged from the ground and in each bubble, it said love. And then flowers blossomed and in each flower, it said love. And then balloons came into the sky and they all said love in them. And then she woke up and she said, okay, well, that's brilliant. The dreams told me, how can I be of most benefit? turn everything into love, but I'm still stuck in a job I don't like. So, you know, it, it's, it'll offer advice, but sometimes it's, it's highly spiritual and a bit of truce. And sometimes it's very direct, like with Nina saying, get a job at, at a kindergarten. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the, the unconscious mind is, it, it doesn't forget every book you've ever read, every TED talk you've ever seen, every spiritual teaching you've ever heard of, if you're into Buddhism, every bit of knowledge you've had from previous lives too, is all stored in the unconscious mind. And in the dream, it's like a library of wisdom. And in the lucid dream, you get the keys to the library. So you're asking a question. It's not just the the waking Charlie who's asking the question. It's that unlimited, unconscious Charlie who has access to huge algorithms of data and possibility that the waking Charlie just doesn't have access to. And it will seem like it's God. I mean, that's why a lot of people talk about meeting God in their lucid dreams. And if that's their experience, that's their experience. I would actually say maybe it's even more far out than meeting God. Is that you're meeting you. But if you met the you beyond the limits of the conscious, rational mind, you would be meeting God.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you are your own Google. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You are your own Actually, that's
1: cool. We had the dream at the uh, workshop last night. Um, somebody shared a dream with that. They asked, what was their question? I can't remember what it was. It was something like, why am I stuck in life or something like that? And uh, a dream character walked in, opened a laptop, (laughs) went on Google in the lucid dream and put in, why am I stuck in life? And then on the screen, all these paintings came up, which the lady said, the paintings, she didn't actually want to share what the meaning was. but She said the paintings gave her the answer. And she said it was very kind because the answer was hard to hear. So her mind kind of uh, gave her these buffer zones of, okay, we'll Google it. And when the answer comes up, it'll be in painting form. Uh, So it's not such a a tough pill to swallow. So yes, you can literally Google in a lucid dream and get answers.
0: (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) Charlie, we've covered a lot of ground. There's there's a huge, I mean, I could talk to you for just just days on end. I think this subject is so fascinating and, and you have so much wisdom to share on it. But is there anything, is there any one thing perhaps that we haven't covered that you feel is really important to uh, to get across to people, to to get them into lucid dreaming and get them to understand why, why it could be so useful for them?
1: I'd just say we're asleep for a third of our lives. So let's do something with it. Lucid dreaming happens in REM dreaming sleep where we're not resting anyway. So this won't affect your state of rest the next day. In fact, if anything, it'll make you feel more rested and full of energy and full of all the insights you've got. So you're asleep anyway. You know, we have all these excuses why we can't go to yoga, why we can't do our meditation, why we're too busy for this. This is the spiritual practice you do in your sleep. I mean, that's nuts. There's no excuses not to do it. Um, and yes, it can take some effort, of course, and there's all the stuff you do in the day, but essentially you do it while you're asleep. So it's a great excuse to have an extra couple of hours in bed and call it your spiritual practice. It's one of the most ancient and profound practices within Tibetan Buddhism. Trains you for the moment of death. Um integrates your psychology in deep and profound ways and is also really freaking fun I mean, yeah, it feels like it you're is. in the matrix or something so and it
0: never gets old I mean every single dream old. is just yeah. such a such a joy isn't it yeah exactly wonderful I always ask three little questions at the end of every interview um mm-hmm. so you know we talk about mind body spirit medicine and I sort of like to kind of hold those in the the ideas of health happiness and serenity so mm-hmm. i'd be interested how do you personally define health what does that mean for you
1: oh uh, god how do i define it i know it's definitely not physical i mean to to it's but it's not mental either it, it's psychophysical i don't think there's there's a difference here i think mental health and physical health are strongly strongly linked um and nowadays even you know exercise is being almost prescribed now by doctors who know that for some people, that is the the best way to work with mental health. So it's not so woo-woo anymore to to see that direct link between body and mind. Um, But what is healthiness? I don't know, optimized humanity, being in a position where we can be the kindest, most helpful human beings we can. Not special and not uh, having great spiritual experiences, but just entering into the great spiritual experience of humanity, I think that's probably health.
0: Oh, that's an absolutely lovely description. Um, Your humility is always very moving, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what about happiness? What does does Charlie do to get happy? I have the feeling you're happy most of the time, but is there any specific things that you do that actually uh, light you up? Yeah, I am
1: happy most of the time. Uh, My general, generally I'm happy. Yeah, definitely the majority of the time. Um, Beginning of the year, actually, I experienced my first period of depression. Uh, which is very interesting um, and horrible experience, but a lot of empathy from it. because I thought, oh, this is what depression is. Fuck. I had no idea what it felt like. uh, And I had it. Um, So at that point, at that point I experienced depression, but I'm not sure if it actually affected my happiness. It made me reflect on like, it affected my joy. You know, my level of joy decreased when I was in those, like a couple of months of depression, but did it affect my happiness? It made me realize I think there's something much kind of, uh, much deeper and more ingrained that happiness is, almost like it's a habit. There's there's a habitual nature to happiness, which is probably kind of an attitude of life, where even if you're experiencing depression, you notice, okay, I haven't got any joy, I haven't got any energy, I haven't got any lust for life, but happiness can still remain. Um, but anyway, your question is what do I do to get happy? Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems almost a time and time again, lasting happiness from helping others. If I do something for myself, I get a rush and I get dopamine and I'm like, yeah, this feels good, but pretty much everything that gives me lasting happiness comes from helping others. And I mean, everyone has that. That's nothing, that's nothing unique. But it's just weird that it's taken me 35 years to finally conclude that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've kind of seen a pattern emerging. That when I do stuff <laughs> myself, I feel dopamine and I feel good. But that lasting happiness that is still there the next day when you wake up in the morning, that is gone after the partying night that's made you happy, that's given you good feelings, but not lasting happiness. But helping people, that seems to be lasting.
0: Right, Absolutely fabulous serenity now I mean you are somebody who who has embodied spiritual practices as as part of your life so there's little point in asking you about that but for in general I always find that that serenity is a word that a lot of people have forgotten because we rush around we're crazy all the time and people just never turn down the noise can Mm. you comment on that maybe why you think that that is so important and why going in sometimes and just turning down the noise is so beneficial and so helpful i
1: don't know i think actually from the three things yet yeah, serenity is probably the thing i know least about um i think my energy is quite erratic sometimes and i think the reason i got into spiritual practice like a lot of people is because i totally wasn't serene you know it's like most of the like I lived at a Buddhist centre for like eight years, right? Most of the people who are into Buddhism, it's because we're totally not serene. We're the <laughs> effed up one. That's why we got into this stuff to like try and find some serenity. The people I who aren't you. doing that are probably the ones who are totally fine and you know totally relaxed with life. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I have a very busy life, but then I like to have days where I do little and relax and just do martial arts and hang out and do my meditation practice and, and that makes me feel good. Um, and with that goodness, it seems to last a bit longer and I'm kind of less reactive towards people. So I guess that's a serenity is whether I can respond and not react and to do more of what allows me to respond and less of what makes me react unconsciously. Maybe that's serenity. And for me, that seems to be directly linked to meditation. It's like, a, it's like muscles. Like if you don't train it, I just like these last, like three weeks ago, I was in a one week solo meditation retreat doing like eight hours a day practice in the last three weeks since then I've done virtually no spiritual practice. Cause I've been on tour. I was in like Barcelona, then Kuwait then Dublin, almost none. And I've noticed I've become so reactive. Like the serenity is gone. Like I'm just getting annoyed by stuff. And I'm like, God, I, I really need this stuff. So luckily I taught my last, workshop of the year yesterday so now i'll be able to get back into practice and i go back into retreat in a couple of weeks to do another intensive to get back into the serenity but i'm actually not very naturally serene at all the reason i do spiritual practice is to try and get some of it
0: (laughs) i totally hear you i totally hear you i'm exactly the same and uh, and i notice if i don't meditate every day um that i just get i get abrasive you know yeah um,
1: abrasive that's what i'm like yeah i'm just scratchy yeah exactly why am i being like this then i get the shame i'm like i'm supposed to be a spiritual (laughs) practitioner i just got annoyed that Jay didn't do the dishes like oh my god what am i i've made no i've I've, you know i've done nothing
0: i think that's exactly the the benefits though of of being having those periods of serenity and having a spiritual practice is it actually just stops you doing that stops you beating yourself Mm -hmm. up more than anything else you know yeah Well, thanks again so much. It's been really insightful. Um, I hope that maybe in the future you'll come back and talk to me again and we'll delve into some other issues because I think we have a a whole lot that I'd love to talk to you about. And keep doing your wonderful work. I really acknowledge your commitment and your um, passion for helping other people and actually opening the door into something that could be so useful for so many people. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: My pleasure was all mine. Great. So dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Oh, what a fascinating subject. Um, I could talk about this with Charlie for hours and hours and hours, even though I'm sure he's got much better things to do. Anyway, I hope we managed to give you a little bit of insight into the marvels of lucid dreaming, maybe a couple of little practices about how to start triggering lucid dreaming in your own life highly encourage you to get hold of Charlie's books or if you're um in the vicinity he does travel all over the world try and get to one of his conferences or his workshops rather um I think it's a very very powerful tool and it's one you carry with yourself you don't need anyone else and as you said as he said rather you can uh, you can make the most of that one third of the time that you actually spend asleep how cool is that So, dear listeners, as always, we ask you that if you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it and feel that somebody else could get something out of it, please rate and review us on iTunes so that we can bring you more of these wonderful types of messages and information. And please tell all your friends and, of course, pass this on to anyone who you think could really benefit from it. Also, check out our Facebook page and support us there as well, please. And if you would like to have extended show notes so that you don't have to sit and re-listen to episodes or sit there with a pencil and paper, you can get extended show notes with all the details written down. Just become a London Heal Insider. Get onto our mailing list and every week you'll get a newsletter with the extended notes and the links to uh, uh, to the latest episode just pop into your mailbox Uh, your inbox rather and that's all you have to do so go over to londonheal.com and sign up we'd love to have you as part of the family so as always that just leaves me to wish you health happiness and serenity